Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry's Salon, the podcast with more celebrities than the, not this latest one, but the previous inauguration, the podcast that just uh, brings you every everybody you could ever want to meet and some you didn't know you wanted to meet. In fact, one of the nicest reviews, or I've actually a couple of people have said this, on some of the reviews they've said, people have said, it, some of the guests might be people we know and some we've never heard of. But they're all interesting and entertaining, and that's exactly what I wanted. Um, anyway, this is the first show of Season 17. Yeah, no, Season 17. And I am thrilled to be here and have a guest on that is just one of my super favorites. But just to recap recently, you know, um, the last show I had, which was actually a month ago, I took a month off, was Park Overall. And some people might remember her from the show Empty Nest in the 80s. But Park is also an activist as well as actor. And let me tell you, she was so much fun. People, uh, somebody messaged me saying that they um, ended up spitting out a sandwich during listening to her, especially when she tells those B. Arthur stories. She was a ride. She's hilarious. So if you need a laugh, if you need somebody to perk you up, go listen to that episode with Park overall. Or... Um, who else? Arden Marine. She was fun. D.C. Glenn, the guy from Tag Team, whoop, there it is, that says sprinkles on the Geico commercial. He was so funny. We had to keep extending the time that we had reserved uh, to, to keep <laughs> to, for D.C. I mean, that man, he gave a lot of good information for people trying to make it in show business or any business. And he even gave out his email for anybody that needed to help him, so that, that needed his help or advice. So, uh Check that one out, too. D.C. was a riot. But anyway, I am thrilled to be here. Uh, of course, you know me, your hostess, your spiritual advisor, your groove mistress, Madam Perry. But you don't have to call me Madam. You can call me J.P., Jen, Jennifer. I'm just here, and I'm crazy about you. Now, tonight's guest, you've probably met her on here before. She's been on, I don't remember how many times. Uh, now, when I first met her, it was on Twitter. So don't go dissing things on social media. I've met the coolest people there. I met her on Twitter, but she was then known more for her erotic writings. And uh, and we can all dig that, right? And uh, But this woman has just got boundless ideas and energies and talents. And I think right now she has over 30 books. Um, but I'm going to check with her on the number to see. So please welcome once again to Madame Perry's Salon, Mitzi Zareto. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. You know, I'm kind of wondering, you were giving this really big setup about how fun these previous guests were. Are you sort of letting people down gently now that I'm on? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all, all of our diehard fans have heard you before. They know. So they send me these little messages. Mitzi, cool. You know, Mitzi, hey, <laughs> Mitzi, awesome. You got out of that oh. one. 
Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, the question of the British, those were your British fans. Ace. Oh, good. <laughs> yes, they love me. They, I think they still love me. I don't know. How could they? Are you still a British citizen? Well, yeah, it's not like I haven't committed treason that they're going to take it away. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know if you had let it lapse or something, if that was like an expiration. No, you can't thing. let that lapse. That, that doesn't know. lapse. That's. <laughs> You know, even when I'm six feet under, I'll still be British. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, thank you. I adored. I was so delighted to see on Twitter when you said, when you called me your favorite Southern lass, I believe. You are. I just adore. Not that that I have a long list of them, but I mean, you are. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Don't don't take away from me now, okay? I was feeling it. I was feeling it. So don't, don't take You were feeling that groove, and I just totally yeah, yeah, threw a yeah. bucket of ice water on it. Build me up just to let me down. Yeah, it's a way of life. <laughs> so listen, sister, I am so proud. How many books do you have? I said about 30. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I've lost count, you know, and it's, it's all become a blur with this true crying gig. <laughs> Like you know, I'm working so many I'm working so many books ahead that I'm trying to remember what it is we're supposed to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I need like a bull. I need you know what I need. I need like in those 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 um uh, cop shows. You know those detective uh, thrillers where they've got the whole thing on the wall with the crime laid out and all the parts to fit together. <laughs> yes, with all the yeah, and the strings going everywhere, or the ones. Yeah, that, uh, that's what I need. I need some string. <laughs> what are your, you know, before we get your your newest anthology in the True Crime Stories series is called, I said this is the best new true crime stories. Newest one is Well-Mannered Crooks, Rogues, and Criminals, because each one has a theme. And, yes, uh, yes, yes. So this is. This just, is the uh, third volume. Yeah. Whoa. The Well-Mannered Crooks, you know, and, um. Of course, we can say a lot of them have been in, um, you know, you read, I read some of these stories and think, man, how do these people get away from this, for so, get away with these things for so long? Maybe it's because there wasn't mass communication or whatever. But then again, you look around today or the last 10 years, and I think we can see it the last 10 or 20 years, but some people who have gotten away with a lot. Oh, yeah. But I'm not <laughs> going to name names. We won't mention names. Yeah, we'll keep quiet. We don't want to get into that right now. (laughs) No, 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 no. I need publicity, but not like that. (laughs) I don't go looking for trouble, Mitzi. I know. I keep keep my nose clean, right, as they say. Keep your nose clean. So, okay, so this latest book, okay, Best New Crime Stories, Well-Mannered Crooks, Rogues, and Criminals. It's an anthology, like all the your Best New Crime Stories editions are so great selection in here great stories and for people who also like true crime and like history this is just a treasure chest oh well i appreciate you saying that yeah i mean i i try to um you know have a good cross-section of time frames um you know, some some pieces are more contemporary. Some might go back to um, you know late 1800s and and very international as well. Because as we know, crime happens all over the world. It's not exclusive to any one country. Mm-hmm. Not at all, or any sex, or any social strata. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, crime is is omnipresent. So. 
there are so many great stories. And I'm thinking since you put out, you know, you put out the call to authors for submissions on, on their website, which is MitsuZeredo.com. Uh, I can't imagine how many you get, how you call just bear it down to the ones that go in and there's got to be a lot that you want to get in but you just don't have the room without making a set of encyclopedias which you may do i don't know well you know how i actually work it is um i don't actually take random stories um i require all writers to submit a pitch um you know it doesn't have to be a long pitch it could be just one paragraph but i want to know you know first of all if they're honing in on what it is i'm asking for and if i actually think that they're their subject and how they wish to approach it would be of interest. And then I give them a go ahead, which is not the same thing as an acceptance. Obviously, I'm not going to accept something without actually seeing the finished piece. But that's generally how it is. They they actually are writing for me. Um, it's, I'm not I'm not um, curating anything. I'm not picking stories that are these are not previously published. They're all written exclusively for the book. So that's basically how it works. Um, and yes, I do list my calls for submission at my website, but I also disseminate it to other sources, and uh, and it just gets bounced and bounced and bounced, and I'll hear from people, and I'll, I'll ask them, like, where did you see my submissions call? And they'll say, and I'm like, I have no idea who that is or where that is. <laughs> it just goes all over. <laughs> well, there's got to be, but do you, don't you get... Or do you get to where you're something where it's like, gosh, it, this, it gets to the last part. It's hard. It's hard to pare it down to so many. I mean, I know that they're not going to be all great, but sometimes you get something that's like, oh, I hate to leave this out. but Yeah. I've had to leave things out that I felt bad leaving out. But, I mean, there's only so much room in a book. Uh, plus, I want I have a vision of how I want the book to be. And, you know, I need to see enough variety in it. If, if, For instance, if I get in too many American stories, I have to draw the line. I don't want a book full of all American stories. I want to have other countries represented. So, um, you know, Although, it, oddly enough, I tend to get in more British stories, uh, you know, stories that take place in the U.K., uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can't accept everything, and that's just the way it is. And sometimes people will get a little upset saying, well, I was in two of your books, and you don't want to take my other story. And it's like, well, you know, I have turned down people in the past who have been in previous volumes. I can't just say just because you've been in there, you're going to be in all of them. That doesn't work. <laughs> it's like you've got to keep gotta... everybody happy, you know. It's like you <laughs> got a lifetime ride on the true crime train with Mitzi Zerito. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's a war and peace volume. I mean, there's only so many, <laughs> you know, there's only so much cost you can do printing a book. It can't be like, a, you know, 5,000 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. And Plus, I can't pay all these people. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, there's um, a you know there's only so much I can you know budget for a book. It's like yeah, yeah well, I'm not gonna like sell the car you know to pay everybody. No, gosh, no, because then you're gonna end up like um, one of these you know 60s, 70s R&B bands or like um, MC Hammer. He had so many people on that he was paying, then he got broke. So yeah, yeah you don't want that. exactly. <laughs> no, I have to eat too. <laughs> Plus, you know, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy requires his craft beer, so it's like, you know, I've got a lot of obligations out there, you know. 
I didn't know Teddy drank craft beer. Tell us about Teddy Tedaloo, oh, your sidekick. Yeah. Yes. Oh, he's he's a very uh, he's he's a very big craft beer bear. Hmm. A craft beer bear. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. He, IPA. Oh, yes. A nice IPA is sort of right up his street. Maybe we should get him a sponsor or something. So. Yeah, that would be nice. Well, I keep saying, you know, we, 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 I've been promising that all these years he'd get he wanted a Mini Cooper. That would be a nice sponsor, and then maybe throw in a Mini Cooper. I would, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, Teddy could dig it. Could dig it. I can dig it too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go over your new book, and I know this has been the hard time. Um, this has been the hardest time for people, or we've everybody's had to, to like readjust and find new ways to uh, accomplish certain things, and. I've had to change when I do my coaching groups for authors on uh, how to do their own publicity. Uh, I've came up with different things that they can try. Like, okay, I know you can't go out and do a book. You can't, you know, because things are opening up now. But they couldn't go do the things they normally did in front of people. And so I would come up with things to teach them to promote their own books where they could um, get more publicity and introduce their work to people. So this has been a different thing altogether. Um, for authors like you, and but I see that you've got something live coming up in August. Yeah, actually, um, well, you know, you mentioned about um, you know, a lot of the adjustments we've had to make make with uh, live events and such. And yeah, I did after the pandemic really kicked off. I did have um an event canceled up in in the Vancouver, BC area, and uh, obviously not scheduling anything. And um, so, I, you know, I, it is opening up a bit, although I'm not really in any hurry to go running into a confined space to sign books. I'm sorry, but I would like to just sort of wait on that. But I do have an event coming up in, in uh, the middle of August, which is a virtual event, um, and it's at Books and Books in Miami. Um, and it's for the book that's after this one. <laughs> Okay, yes, there's right. one coming out again. Yeah, another one coming out in August. It's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's a very busy time. Yeah, and you know these, of course, but these things are getting better and better. At first, you know how awkward they were. You, you know, we've all seen the lawyer that swore he wasn't a cat, but these things are getting better. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you know, you just keep keep you got to just um um be creative and and you know expand your way of doing things and come up with new ideas and i think that i think this whole thing is is has caused a lot of people to um rethink and be more creative so that in a way it's it's had that good part come out of it well yeah true we yeah because we you know we can all be creative we're not we're not stuck i mean that's how things advanced anyway when you needed a new way something else didn't work now uh, just like a lot of the criminals in this book when one con quit working they figured out another oh yeah let's talk about some of the stories in this book um (laughs) this is so cool because this is like the first one starts off with somebody whose uncle uncle freddie was a friend of John Dillinger, whom everybody knows, yes. public enemy number one. Yes, he was he was Dillinger's bag man, the guy who held the money. 
And um, he was he was he was not a blood uncle, but you know when you're a kid and your family, oh, you yeah. know your parents have like a best friend, and it's like uncle so and so or auntie so and so. So that's how Uncle Freddie came about. He was a, a family friend <laughs> <laughs> of the author, not mine. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm I'm a little younger than that, but yeah. <laughs> But I mean, this this was one of those stories that was like I was just so thrilled to to get this because imagine having a writer who um, actually uh, had somebody in his you know circle in his family circle that had a Dillinger connection. What's the odds of that? Seriously, I mean that was like I thought like a little gold nugget you know you found. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I felt when I got this story, and it's it's just it's such a it's it's such an interesting story because I mean he he talks a lot about Uncle Freddie who was quite a character quite quite a, you know cigar chomping poker playing character um, and uh, you know and how how Freddie was friends with the the writer's father and um, it, it's it's got a lot of um, you know first person in there and uh, it's it's just a lovely story and it's it's actually really interesting about Dillinger too about um, how he ended up in the book is because he was a gentleman he was a gentleman. Uh, you know, public enemy number one, you know, the kind of fellow who, um, for instance, there's a couple anecdotes in the story where uh, Dillinger was robbing a bank um, and one one fellow was at the, at the teller and there was money, you know, and it was unclear which was, you know, if this was um, the teller's money or was it the money that the gentleman had withdrawn. So Dillinger didn't want to, you know, he wasn't going to take this guy's money. He wanted to take the bank's money, but he wasn't going to rob a customer. You know, I mean, that's pretty gentlemanly, you know, and then when he was robbing another bank, another bank, he um, he put his coat down on the floor so a lady didn't have to sit on the bare cold floor, that type of thing. You know, very gentlemanly, not, yeah. Yes, I mean, that, yeah, I had never heard that story before, and that was like, yeah. oh, wow. And this is, uh, uh, or the, usually you used to see the ones where they'd tell everybody to, to, Maybe in the movies or the stories where they'd make everybody who was in the bank, you know, give up your wallet, your purse, your jewelry. But no, he didn't want people's things. No, he no, no, he wanted to rob the banks. The banks were, you know, free, you know, you know, no problem. Not the banks, but not the people. You don't rob the people. So, you know, that's his code of ethics too. You know, happening a moral code. We need more of that now. <laughs> Yeah, where's the where's the sense of style? You know, nobody. I don't know. There style. isn't exactly. No yeah, the style's it. all gone. <laughs> and, and you know, too, with the, with the person knowing. I mean, you know, with the first person connection. I mean, that's you know. I remember the first, one of the first times my husband. I mentioned somebody um, that I had gone to church with, or somebody in my neighborhood that killed somebody, and my husband said, "You've known murderers." <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, this guy that killed his mistress and, and dumped her into an oil tank. Yeah, he gave me a candy necklace when we were in church, you know, and uh folks <laughs> when I grew up. Um, Mark David Chapman that killed John Lennon. He was my brother's scout troop. His dad worked with my dad. Oh. Yeah, we, wow. Southeast Atlanta, it was a quiet middle-class neighborhood. Those were some of the meanest damn white kids you ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening in the ATL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. 
so uh so yeah i've got those stories but then again i don't think i want to i want to be careful i want them to all be dead before i mention any of their stories but yeah yeah so (laughs) so when you've got a first the only story i've told is when i see when people have been on the show they mentioned and i said you know well who was it jared leto played uh mark david chapman in a movie tv movie and the way he talked was so unlike chapman it's, I said, you know, Chapman, if he had, in, in Gresham Park, southeast Atlanta, if he had talked like an 1800s riverboat gambler the way Jared Leto had him talking, <laughs> let me tell you, in Gresham Park, he would not have lived long enough to kill anybody, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that's what you call you need to do your research when you're an actor or a writer, and I guess Jared didn't do his research. No, they think we all sound alike. But, okay, so then the story, so this comes to another story. Um, you, know, you talk about the different, you know, types, nationalities of people, but uh, sexism is not new, but it was so many ways, so much stricter a couple of centuries back, and the story of the Chinese pirates, those stories were all new to me, and those were fascinating. Yes, yes. Uh, Ching Shi, I think it's pronounced. Uh, She was a uh, female pirate in the early 1800s in China. And obviously piracy was not a woman's game. It was pretty much a man's game. Um, And, uh, you know, women basically didn't have any power at all. Um, And obviously she had a, she had a, try to gain power and she did so through marriage but she was pretty much the uh, ringmaster of everything uh and it was a matter of like acquiring chinese junks and you know ships etc cetera, etc cetera, uh the salt trade all of that uh and she built up pretty much an empire uh and and they were a force to be reckoned with her and her pirates were a force to be reckoned with including the government have having to um defer to, you know, their demands. Uh, but she, you know, how she ends up in this book is because she did have a, a moral code and uh, she wanted better things for her, you know, the men who were, you know, working for her, the pirates, uh, better working conditions, uh, as well as uh, improving how women were treated. You know, you how these, you couldn't just use women as one would assume they did. Uh, women had to be, you know, she had a whole code, a whole moral code, and also a the code of punishments if you, you know, didn't follow this code. So, I mean, oh, yeah. she was a, a pretty, she was a badass, as they say. <laughs> yeah, she was definitely a badass, and you're right. And there were some female pirates, but not so many. But yet, yeah, even where there's um, the other codes where no one was to take advantage of a female prisoner mm-hmm. sexually, and otherwise they got beheaded. So it was like, you know, there's no in-between. There's no gray matter. Yes, yes. You're gone. She didn't mess around. No, but Ching Shi was also, she was a, as I understand, she was a brilliant military strategist. Yes, yes. She 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 definitely was. I mean, uh, uh, like I said, she was pretty much um, the boss. And, uh, you know, the government, you know, there's different, obviously, they want to paint a different picture sometimes. But, I mean, they had to... Um, basically given to her demands or things wouldn't happen you know i mean she 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 got she had ships she controlled the salt trade i mean it was all these things that uh obviously they you know they needed to have this so 
but yeah, she was a, a military leader of, of, of a sort. Yeah, but, and who could, I mean, with her husband and her working as a team, uh, which would have been unusual in so many places then or before, uh, you know, he obviously recognized what she brought to it and respected well, that. Well, yeah. There were two, I believe uh, there were two husbands. I mean, the first one had uh, died, and then the other one was sort of an almost adopted son who became her next husband. <laughs> so she, you know, she, was, she, she had it all lined up. You know, she knew what she needed to do. And, and despite her power and despite her, her brilliance, uh, you still needed, unfortunately, to have the husband, you know, in order to fulfill all of these things. But, you know, even so, it was a partner. It wasn't like she was she was subservient to the husband whatsoever. That I got no indication of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Not that. Now, because um, I want to say, I think when people hear the kinds of stories that are here, um, they're going to definitely get the book. Uh, I hope. Way, Gregor, <laughs> that's the idea. That's, that's why I want people to know what kind of variety between Ching Shi, John Dilliver, Dilliger, and Uncle Freddie. Um, Oh, the wild. This was absolutely a wild story. Gregor McGregor. Yes, I know. I know. Gregor McGregor. What a name. That's enough. Um, Yeah, that's, I would say it's a fun one. I mean, it is a fun one, except for the fact that, you know, people did die and people were taken advantage of. But um, Gregor McGregor was a Scotsman, obviously, and he created a country. A fictitious country um, that was uh, in Central America, and he basically was selling the idea of moving to this country to the, to the Brits, who you know were like, "Get me out of England!" You know, it was an industrial revolution starting, and you know they and, and he painted this picture of this paradise. You know, everything was just perfect and clean, and and you you'll have your beautiful home, you'll have your place to work, um, you know, just. Everything's right there, right for the picking. So obviously, you know, people are game for it. So he sold this country to all these people, and people were boarding ships, heading toward this, they later found out, was a non-existent country on a <laughs> on a primitive island with absolutely no infrastructure and nothing waiting for them. Um, and these people were abandoned there. And uh, it was just some tribe of uh, aboriginals there <laughs> We didn't even want these people like get out of here. So it was, it was sort of in that Mosquito Coast area. So if you've ever seen that film or read the book, you get an idea. Of, <laughs> this is not like a real easy place. And uh, Gregor McGregor just kept pulling this con back and forth, back and forth. And and when people in England finally caught on, he went over to France and tried it again. <laughs> and not only tried it, succeeded. Yes, yes. And the irony is, the irony is, is this guy was such a great con that he kept getting positions in the military, like, you know, uh, South American countries would give him armies. Uh, I mean, he even ended up with some uh, uh, positions, you know, official military status in the Venezuelan military. It was insane. He just was so good at it. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think wasn't it back then people? Some people could buy commissions, could buy a certain yes. um, 
status of the Army. Which is how he started out. That's how he started out, um, is, was buying the positions. And then, you know, I think he, he married a woman first to try to get, you know, hold of her money. But, yes, exactly. You just sort of bought your way into all these things. It wasn't done on merit, at least not in his case. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, though, the, it just seemed that no matter, of course, the people who, the people who reported to him, they all, they hated him. They knew he was a fraud. They knew he was a con man. They thought he was an idiot. Mm-hmm. They thought he was lazy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and, and, of course, we've all had jobs where we've had people like the bosses think they're great, but we know they're all slackers. And stealing yes. and stuff, you know. But the boss always thinks that they're the great ones, and so and some of these people just died horrible deaths. Yes, I mean, there's there's one. I mean, like I said, the story there there's tragedy in the story because these people were, you know, abandoned in these places, or or because of the military, uh, you know, he he abandoned his men. I mean, there's one one scene in there where they're looking for him, and he's like rowing away to this to his <laughs> boat, you know, to his ship, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, but it's it's like comical, you know when you read it but then you realize that my god you know these people people's lives were affected people died uh, people suffered and this guy just kept remaking himself <laughs> as all good con men do yeah. and you just wonder sometimes with these people how can this go on and sure they didn't have social media broadcast news back yes. then but just think after a while stuff would get back but he would every place he would play in america like in the dc area um oh we've got this new country and here's a land they can't wait to have you there and sell these yeah. plots to people that were nothing yeah well i mean he he it was was the early 1800s and obviously the communication i mean people were also trusting you know you have to realize i mean god knows uh even our, our own parents' generation, people were more trusting. But, um, yeah, I mean, people never caught on to this. And then the only time that finally the, the penny fell, so to speak, was um, the French figured it out because all these French uh, citizens were uh, applying for visas to go to this place called Poyer. <laughs> And they said, what, "What's up with this point? What the hell is Poirier?" And that's sort of um, when it, when the proverbial hit the fan. <laughs> but they always seem to come back to the, uh, you know, well they were so charming and so believable in their enthusiasm, and people would just get caught up in it. And yeah, could... snake oil salesmen. I mean, just different yeah. ways of being a snake oil sales- salesman. You know, and people. I suppose you want to believe and. You believe. I used to sell snake oil, but it was a cosmetic Did girl you? job at the department store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> snake oil sales. Snake oil. <laughs> we still have them running around. We still have snake oil salesmen. Again, we won't get into the who is who who we speak of. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, now this, your story. About and this was the second when you started off the story and you're talking about what times are and people the American dream and oh I'm so in there because you're telling you're telling the truth I mean you are speaking I am. the truth absolutely I was not a word wrong not nothing and what 
story of Lon Perry, not related to me, but I have criminals in my family, but they're not named Perry. But tell me uh, about his story, because it was such a, it felt like there was just kind of, you don't want to say no choice, but sometimes people don't see a way out. Well, yeah, I mean, as I said, we, we have a number of con artists in the book, and this, this is one man who uh, circumstances basically led him into a life of crime. And, and I call it the American dream, which is my, my um, a bit of a sarcastic uh, title. But uh, I start out, you know, this, this, this was a man who, you know, he did everything right. Um, you know, in the 60s, he was, you know, going to, you, this, you, you make yourself the American dream, you go to college, you, you um, get a good job, you work hard, and, and you get your nice house, and you have your retirement. And, you know, this is what Americans have been fed. Uh, I think people have woken up a bit about this, <laughs> but still some subscribe to it. But um, he, he was, like I said, the ma- a man who did everything right. You know, he was going to university. Um, then the Vietnam War hit, and he was he was called up, and he did his patriotic duty, and he interrupted his studies, went off to Vietnam, did his did what he was told to do, came back, finally finished his studies, uh, got his job. Um, he was uh, a computer programmer in Houston uh, for the oil industry, and obviously, when he was working a lot, it was you know everything was going great. The 70s was a fantastic time for the industry and everybody was uh, having a good life. Um, And then the 80s happened and the recession, um, the oil prices just plummeted. Uh, The whole world was suddenly producing oil on the cheap and uh, this guy is getting laid off Uh, and it happened to him twice. He got laid off from his work. Houston was suffering, obviously people leaving, all these houses that they were building for all these workers, sitting there empty, being foreclosed on, people just going. And so here's poor Lon, you know, with his family, and he's out of work, and he's just on the cusp of the age of 50. And that's not exactly, you know, the age when everyone's going to be hiring you. And he just uh, was getting depressed and upset. He can't pay his bills. Uh, He can't pay his mortgage. He's disappointing his family. Um, He can't even pay his son's college tuition. And he doesn't know what to do. And he wants to kill himself, essentially. That was his idea. But, you know, he knew that wasn't going to work. He needed to keep things going financially. So he got an idea. And that idea was to turn to robbery. And that's what he did. He just uh, started to go to um, motels and hotels and uh, kind of just blend in with other business travelers, and then he would rob them. And he just became a chronic. It was a number of cases. I think he ran up about 100 that they know about. Um, and this is this is what he did. But he was a gentleman robber. I mean, they actually called him the gentleman gentleman bandit. I think, or the gentleman robber, mm-hmm. um, because he was he didn't really want to do this. He didn't want to be a criminal, and he didn't want to harm anyone or scare anyone. Um, he would be very apologetic for tying people up, making sure they were comfortable. Um, he would even sometimes not steal if someone had a particular you know circumstance that maybe it was going to be a hardship for them. He had a, he had one of the people he one of his victims had a heart attack and he was calling the ambulance for him, uh, so he was just 
not your typical criminal or your typical robber. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and you feel so sad for him because, you know, he's thinking his only options are that or maybe, you know, faking his death so his family gets an insurance settlement or something. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, it wasn't even just uh, – he, he actually wanted to quit several times, and then it even got worse. Um, the IRS put a lien on his house. For back taxes. So it's this. This is my irony about the American dream: is this guy did everything, and he did the right thing, and he, you know, he served his time in Vietnam, and he he did everything, and here was how he's repaid. You know, we're going to take your house from you, and we're going to foreclose on you. We're going to, you know, (laughs) which, yeah, and which brings forth something that this is this is one of my major. this is one of my things that just causes me a lot of anxiety uh, and anger is how many people have served our country, have been in the military, and come back and they're living on the streets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's shameful, really. And uh, I mean, in a way, you could say Lon's story is is a indicative of a wider problem. And and then of course the pandemic is, I think highlighted a lot of these things too about you know people who this is this is what's happened to them you know they have lost their jobs and they they don't have anything and they're you know ruined mm-hmm. because you know as a um as a entertainment publicist i know one of my clients had a book that centered on uh civil war soldiers and some that had been hired to go in to war in place of wealthier people, which was a practice then. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, why don't you at the back of the book, why don't you just put a little page in there where people can donate to a cause? They could just, the information will be on the back page of your book. Because they like this guy, they like this character, and they all know somebody who's been in this yeah. situation. So they did that. Um, and, oh, and by the way, speaking of, of charity and good works, I just want to say, because, look, who doesn't love dogs? And you have, let's see, on your website, several animal charities for people to donate to. And I am so yes. proud of that because uh, sometimes the animals, especially in times like now, get left behind. But you've got, if you go to the website under About Mitzi Cerrito, then click this charity page and um, the list that you can click on, see which one. Yeah, well, you know, Teddy just had a birthday fundraiser for uh, TLC Humane Society, which is sort of in your uh, neighborhood, almost, maybe about an hour from you. Oh, is it? Where? In, oh, TLC. In De, it's, in De, it's in Dahlonega. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. You well, you know, that. we used to... we. We volunteered there for a while. I had a bit of a, a I, I lived in uh, North Georgia for a while, and uh, that was the uh, place that I would go and, you know, hang out with the doggies. Is <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel good. Um, and I'm so yeah. glad Teddy, Teddy likes dogs, too, and it's uh, – Oh yeah, he's he's got his few like he's Uncle Teddy to some, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what I um, let's see. I want to talk about a couple more stories because I think people uh, 
We've already given them stories that uh, definitely piqued their interest. I want to talk about a couple more um, after I've got the special message. And it'll be about one minute. So if you need to get a glass of water or something, I know my throat sounds a little dry. So uh, this is your chance to do it. And here's a message from our friend Charles, Ernie, and Shaq right now. If the button works. So, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well, I, I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who going to coach this team. They don't got no talent on you it. And I don't, I don't really feel I talk That's as true. Hard. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right Do now. Do you talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madame Perry Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry... She's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, roster, all the dip comedians. What about people we that could, don't have rings? Here we go. We I got real fun. Ah, real fun. Ah, ah, but I think she's great, and I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make the laugh come out of nowhere, like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. That's right. It's not terrible, is it? <laughs> no, that's the biggest compliment you could get. It's not terrible. <laughs> I, I think it's a very sincere compliment from from Charles. Anyway, so I'm back here with Mitzi Zaretto, and we're talking about her newest anthology. It's uh, oh, this has got some great stories. It's well mannered crooks, rogues, and criminals. Uh, and it's uh, the newest anthology from the Best New Crime Story series. And <laughs> it's got some great people in So tell me the story about, um, tell us about, I'm going to read the top of this, the, just the title of this, The Bandolero Lojano. Yes, that's, that's an interesting one. That is, um, well, you know, you have to have at least one, proper Robin Hood in order to be a well-mannered crook, crooks, rogues, and criminals. And, that is, and that's exactly what we have. Um, this is about a gentleman who um, is, from, is from Ecuador, and uh, he was a bandit. And uh, it kind of, in a way, this is an interesting segue from my own story. But uh, in his case, uh, these are, it was the 1800s, late 1800s, and uh, people, you know, his people, I say his people, these were poor peasants. Uh, people worked the land. They worked for the wealthy, very wealthy landowners, and they lived very poor existences. And uh, so he decided that um, that needed to change. And he, he tried to be reasonable about it. You know, these, these landowners had a lot of money. They certainly weren't going to miss any of it if they were going to be, you know, helping others. So he actually came up with a plan where he made a, sort of a demand to these landowners saying, you know, we this such and such amount of money needs to be paid to the people. Uh, and you have an expir, expiration date when it's due. And the, these landowners could easily have paid it. It wouldn't, they wouldn't have even have noticed it, but they weren't going to do that. And they certainly weren't going to be demand, you know, told told to do something by some, you know, peasant, someone they called it, considered a peasant. So uh, obviously they didn't pay up. So this bandit, uh, Briones, he 
was he decided he was he's going to take the money. So uh, he really robbed from the rich and gave to the poor, just as Robin Hood, if if that's to be believed, if that's a real true story, did. And uh, obviously the landowners didn't like this, uh, and the the uh, the military forces and the uh, law enforcement forces were all in the pockets of the landowners, and they weren't going to stand for it either. So it ends up becoming an interesting uh, thing where where this uh, where Brionis is being hunted down, and uh, we go through all that in the story. And uh, it, and the funny thing is, is all these years later. Um, People still know him. People still know of him and talk of him. And uh, the, there's talk about actually turning the area that he used to frequent, like, for instance, for, you know, relaxing or whatever, into like a tourist uh, attraction. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's here we are, you know, from this guy from the early 1900s, it is, um, in a small part of uh, southern Ecuador, Loja province, and people have still remember him for what he did mm. and tried to do. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so we, we don't have much time left. And um, and remember, folks, you can get this book, The Best New Crime, Best New True Crime Stories, Well-Mannered Crooks, Rogues, and Criminals. Uh, well, you can get it ordered from Mitzi Zerito's website, which I will be sharing the link for that on all of my social media not just Madam Perry's salon, but my other social media as well. Um, I know you can get it at Amazon. And actually, wherever you buy books, if you don't see it there, and this is what I tell everybody, clients and their friends, if you don't see the book there that you want or your book, ask them where it is. Make people have to look it up so they have to look up the name of the book and the name of the author and make them, um, ask, them ask them to order it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I know Amazon's got a big influence and, and everyone goes there for convenience, and that's fine. But, you know, um, there's lots of other booksellers out there and independent booksellers, and they certainly can use the business. So definitely, you know, yeah. uh, buy from them, too. And every time they order it for you and have and handle it and put it on a shelf or call you about it, other people see it and uh you know, it's kind of, maybe it's like a Carl Jung collective mind thing. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, you can't yeah. be a looky-loo on Amazon, but you can be a looky-loo when you go to your local bookseller and see what's on the shelves, and that's when you discover little gems that you didn't know about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us have gone to a bookstore and bought something we never expected to find or to get and it's like a jewel that's why you know i'll tell my husband it's bookstore coffee shops my happy place <laughs> yes i've never i've never gone into a sports bar without looking like i was going in there at gunpoint but bookstore with a coffee and brew shop. pubs and brew oh. pubs you left <laughs> that one out <laughs> yes. that's my happy place Okay, that's your happy place, and I'm happy for you. And I think that's Teddy's happy place, too. Teddy Tedaloo. Oh, happy yes. Place. As long as I pay for the beer, he's happy. Yeah, yeah, aren't they all? So um, if you would tell us, we got time for you to tell us about one more story. I was looking at the socialites' poisonous plight because, you know, poison is so sneaky. Oh, that's an interesting piece. Um, this is um, 
it's sort of a, a, a cross between uh, Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby and Agatha Christie. Um, the character <laughs> in here, the the, the main character, uh, she, this is in Missouri. Um, she's straight out of Gatsby. She's sort sort of a um, a daisy character almost. You know, somebody who's uh, the cafe society, a well-off mm-hmm. family, uh, privileged, very very privileged, the gilded um, age, the whole bit. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, she's basically married to a gentleman who, you know, he's very successful, and he's, but he's a professor, college professor, and that's just not very interesting when you're, a, you know, a, a flighty little socialite type who, you know, has had everything handed to you. Um, so her husband is poisoned. He dies. He dies from strychnine poisoning, and um, it's, it's, what's interesting about this particular story is the author is a, is a retired lawyer. And she goes through all the arguments about, you know, all the, the supposed, you know, where this poison came from. Uh, did the wife actually do the poisoning? Uh, how the poison got in the man's body, you know, and, and she goes through almost like a, a Perry Mason <laughs> episode. <laughs> and, and you get a real interesting perspective about how that works and how they would actually try to uh, figure out how, how this man was actually poisoned and, and the legal arguments behind it. So it's, it's a fascinating piece and uh, it, it takes you back to a, a time that is long gone and uh it's yeah it's it's definitely a fun piece and it's i i mean you know having someone who's a lawyer who actually wrote this uh, i think gives it an extra something that you may not have had if if it was just you know chronicling what happened and it's got to say the author is jackie barrow and it's got everything in it and too i think also because with all the stories like on netflix or whatever that take place in the 20s like peaky blinders or um other different shows you know like the later parts of uh uh downton abbey we're getting a glimpse into how people talked and acted and dressed in that time as they were coming in and how people were changing socially becoming a bit more liberated but still there were certain rules and that were yeah. not broken. It's supposed to have to do with society. And so here she is. Jackie Barrow's got this, The Socialite's Poison's Plight is the title. But so, so now I think because of the way, she, the way Jackie Barrow writes it, the way she digs in, like, like you said, like, it's like Paul Drake came and brought her all the information. And uh, <laughs> Perry Mason, and, you know, Della got in on it too. But they got you all the information, but you can feel it. You like you just—it's like you've just stepped into it, and you can see yes. the way the people dress and talk, and people slipping a little something here and there, and the headlines. Because she was talking, she ends starts off a little bit before the story, saying the headlines read like an Agatha Christie novel: strange death of professor, murder horrifies Missouri. Vivacious Mrs. Vaughn has been arrested. Doctor and woman, a woman and doctor held, pair accused of poisoning Professor Vaughn. I mean, yeah, they do sound like Christie titles, but those were the actual headlines. I know. Can you imagine if we had headlines like that now? Especially the vivacious Mrs. Vaughn. I mean, maybe, I don't know where, maybe the Inquirer might put that in. I don't know. No, I, I don't know. I think the inquirer. I mean, listen, I always say that 
today's news stories and people's things are so wacky. That's why we don't need the Inquirer anymore because regular news <laughs> this is, is true. about like that. And, and, but, and it's just like true crime, it's stranger than fiction. I mean, most, some of this stuff is like if you made it up, people would say, oh, come on, I wouldn't believe that if you wrote that as fiction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, and then again, if there were headlights, headlines like that, vivacious Mrs. Vaughn has been around. Yeah, that might sell more papers. People want to sell papers. That's the way to do it. Bring them in. <laughs> a story. Have a picture of the vivacious Mrs. Vaughn. Well, that's what they did, and, you know, getting all dressed up for court because, you know, you've got people looking at you and taking photos and doing sketches, and so it was a whole, like, fashion parade going into court. <laughs> oh, yeah, like like the uh, the, the play, the movie uh, Chicago, you know, they're arrested, but they're celebrities. <laughs> she murdered her husband. Okay, do you want a picture on this side or do you want my other side, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, is this my good side? Yeah, <laughs> they were celebrities. Scandal, lots of scandal. You know, scandal was was the fun thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. You are such a busy woman and such a prolific writer and um, publisher. You are such a hard working woman pulling together these all of these anthologies plus your own work. How can you have? You said you got to the another the, the next book coming out soon. Oh yeah, it's it's just um, really really taken off. My, my next book is it's already available for pre-order, and that one is called New True Crime Stories: Crimes of Passion, Obsession, and Revenge. And that comes out, I believe, August 10th um, for most of the world, and I think it's a month later in the U.K. And I'm sorry, U.K., I don't know why you need to wait an extra month, but I guess you do. Uh, so that's, that's in August. And I have a book coming out after the new year, which is uh, The Best New True Crime Stories, Partners in Crime, about criminal couples, right in time for Valentine's Day. So that's, a, that's available for pre-order. And I've got two more that I'm working on. <laughs> I love the way you think, Mitzi. I really do. <laughs> no, actually, that was what I when I discussed it with my publisher. I said, you know, we need to make sure we can hit that, you know, right before Valentine's Day. This is a perfect book. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Murderous couples, bloodshed. <laughs> <laughs> Not very romantic. Who needs flowers, right? Who needs candy? Oh, honey, you bought me a new gun. You know, my first husband was a cop. He <laughs> gave me a, a a survival knife as a Valentine gift. So, yeah, you, you never know. You never know. Okay. It probably came in more handy than a ring or a, a you know bouquet. Well, yeah, like I said, growing up in Southeast Atlanta, like great, <laughs> something I could use. You know, see, that was true love. Yeah, it had it had a, it had a uh, uh, compass on the topic, so I could know where I was if I got lost. Fishing line, yeah, that's great. So uh, I'm not complaining at all. Uh, I can't wait for you to come back. Please come back with your next book. You stop off here. Sure, first. absolutely, absolutely. We, I'd love to. As you know, as long as people aren't you. sick of me yet. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. They're not. How can anybody be sick of you? Anyway, good question. Uh, People love you, and I love all the Madam Perry's listeners love you. And so we can't wait to have you back. And, Mitzi, I wish you the best of success. 
with this new book, as with everything you do. I am just so proud of you. And for everyone out there, some people have been asking me, you know, where do they get the, um, where do they get the Madame Perry Salon lightsabers? You don't have one yet, do you, Mitzi? You don't have a lightsaber? Uh, no. No, I'll have to get. I it feel deprived you now. Well, yeah. I'll yeah. Hope, I hope. I hope you feel it. Was, <laughs> I hope you still feel excited about it when you get it. I'm going to get some to you and Teddy too. Uh, <laughs> just. Just, you know, follow and maybe leave me a review and send me a text or a message saying uh, that you did that and that you'd like your lightsabers too, and I'll be happy to send it to you. And so for right now, um, I'm going to close out with my song, Everybody's Got a Swing. You know, that's my mantra. And Lippy Dorito, Teddy Petaloo, we love you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.